Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the show. It's Ben here. I'm joined today by Luis Novo of SCORE, SCORE SCORE.io. And SCORE is a really cool ultimate stack for digital learning. It's a new generation learning platform that helps scaling companies to distribute knowledge in a very flexible way. And we'll dive into how it's different and some of the very cool things it can do. But Luis, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is where our headquarters are. Yep, yep, great place. Luis, before we dive into SCORE itself, do you want to just give us a quick overview of your background and, and what brought you to the point of co-founding SCORE? Definitely. So SCORE is my fourth company. I'm uh, what they call a serial, uh, serial <laughs> entrepreneur. <laughs> and I've been, you know, my background is on software development. I've been programming since I'm like 12, 13 years old. I love tech. And I had the amazing opportunity to sell one of my companies to a Silicon Valley-based startup. So I spent four years there kind of learning and sucking up all of that, you know, tech culture and, and the product development culture. And, and really I had a, an amazing time kind of learning how amazing products are created, right? So up until that point, I thought that creating an innovative product was something that you either can do or cannot do. And when I, when I went there, and I, and, I, and I saw how people um, handled this as a science, I, I realized that you know, I could learn that too. So my career took a shift from the tech side more towards the product side. And I started to become really obsessed on finding what are the spots where a new product can create value that hasn't been created before, right? So that, that's kind of where my career took a, a shift. And it's been, it's been a very like a long relationship with the education subject for me because since I'm like a little kid, I've, um, I have been having trouble with school and it's been really? like a, a, a source of problems for my mom because I'm, I'm a self, uh, self learner. So yeah. I've, I kind of, uh, I thrive when I can find my way around uh, learning the subjects I'm trying to learn. So I, I taught myself to to write and to read uh, when I was three years old. And so you, you get to school in that situation, it, it's really, really boring, right? Because you're, you're, you're some years ahead of people and you're, that, that class material really doesn't interest you at all. And you kind of feel like an outsider just because you, you're, you're not following the same rhythm. Right, so this is this is really um, interesting because it happens both on people that are too far ahead or too far behind. Right, so if you're yeah. if you're lagging behind and you're at school and you know people are talking about equations and you you really didn't get through the multiplication part, you're 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 missing everything, right? Yeah. Because you have no idea what your teacher is saying and you're you're so behind. So this was always a, uh, a topic for me, like something that I wanted to, to merge with my career at some point. So 
when you put together all the product studies and you know how much the the education market is ripe for innovation and and in that personal story and then i found a co-founder that had the same school story mm-hmm. as i did and yeah so we were just talking about it and we were like oh you too like you had that problem too so you 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 had awesome grades but you you were always being referred to as a problem kid and and when we realized that you know we both had the same story and and the 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 market was so amazingly ripe for a new solution we we jumped in it was 4 years ago and you know i couldn't be happier that's brilliant. That's a nice story. Nice to have something <laughs> come to fruition like that. You Isn't mentioned it? trying to find a, a solution to a problem where you can actually add mm-hmm. value where there's a bit of a gap. Can you yep. explain that process? Because that's a fine line between finding an area where there are lots of different similar products and trying to put your own twist on it through to mm-hmm. going into an area where there's no solution or maybe not even a problem before the product comes along. You think of the Ubers of the world or the app where no definitely, one's definitely. How do you get that definitely. balance between is there an actual opportunity for something versus well why don't we just take something and make it better so so here's what it uh, was for us right you you look at the corporate education space which is the one we decided to to, to tackle mm-hmm. and you know this this space is totally taken over by lots and lots of different lmss right there's countless solutions for delivering learning programs to the enterprise but every single one of them um, is is kind of uh, directed towards courses and training, right? And and this is kind of a twenty year old mo- uh, model that the LMSs just apply like blindlessly, which is like a two hundred year old model, which is our school model, right? So the, the whole industry looks at things like, hey, there's a bunch of learning stuff that should be delivered to people, and people will just sit through those courses, and which is cool and it has a lot of value but we we since our background was on innovation consulting we did a lot of research and when we did a lot of research with all sizes of companies we realized that you know they were not looking for that type of solution because the the problem was different what was happening inside those companies is that knowledge was being created in in more of a liquid way than a solid way. So meaning that, you know, people were sharing articles with each other on Slack or email and they were kind of collaborating and constructing artifacts on wiki pages. And that that type of knowledge creation was running completely in parallel to everything the industry considered learning solutions, right? So what we when you for us it was that it wasn't that the solutions lack a little bit of a twist, like more mobile or more this or more that. It was that they were fundamentally solving a problem that was losing its relevance, right? A new problem was arising that is uh, more relevant, which is now that I have all these people collaborating and creating all of this knowledge, how do I make sure I don't lose it and how do I make sure that I can properly evaluate who my experts are? Because these people sharing links on Slack, they're, value, they're very valuable resources. I, I need to know who they are because I need to pay attention to them, right? So for us, it was when we realized the problem was losing relevance. 
and a new problem was arising with no solution. And you're right, like our customers didn't really uh, agree at the beginning that they had that problem. And I think that is normal, you know, when, you, when you're so used to looking at your industry or looking at this, this uh, activity in such a way, um, getting, getting used to a new way of looking kind of takes some time and, and, and takes some, some generations in the company to, to, to happen. But now, like 40 years later, it's completely different. Like every single prospect we talk to, they immediately realize they have the problem and their sense of urgency is, is much higher than it was four years ago. I think when you, when you f- see something that is about to break out, um, you, you need to be kind of patient and calm to navigate this phase where people don't really believe on what you're saying, yeah. right? And, and if, you, if you just give up too fast, it, it, then it doesn't happen, right? It just becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you kind of keep on educating and educating, and, and for us, this was the, the one thing that really worked was like educating our customer on the problem. Right? And, 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 and asking them questions like, what, what do you do with all of this knowledge that your team is creating on email and on Slack? And, and just repeating those, those problem statements until like, it resonated back. Yeah. I just think that there are huge swathes of industries where they have compulsory training, whether it be for anti-money laundering laws or for the finance world or harassment training for just about every company everywhere. And that is typically a PowerPoint slide deck uploaded into an LMS, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and those trainings are still kind of uh, required, right? Even even if the format is not that uh, compelling or engaging, like just a PowerPoint on an LMS, uh, those trainings, they will probably, they will always be required. And, and the, the problem is when the industry looks at that as the golden standard, right? Or as the reference, they say, yeah. okay, so that's how training is done. But if, if you look at what's happening with the workforce, like there's this World Economic Forum study that 54% of population will need to go through serious reskilling, yes. right? And, and if you look at that, like imagine the richness of different topics that will have to be uh, talked to these people. It's not just anti-money laundering. It's, it's like hundreds of different things. And, and a lot of those things are not learned just by advancing slides on a PowerPoint, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the challenges that this will bring to education and online education are much, much bigger than compliance training. Yeah. If I pause you there, I said at the start that SCORE is a new generation learning platform that Mm -hmm. helps scaling companies to distribute knowledge in a very flexible way. And we've said that it's not an LMS. Can we focus in on you describe exactly what SCORE is and gives you a two-minute overview? Definitely. So we we take the LMS from a different angle. So we we are um, targeting the same customer. So we, we do compete with LMS solutions but we are a completely different product. So what, what we do that is different is we're, we're omnichannel. So Score supports the same learning strategy across web, mobile, chatbot, email, API. So we can be on Slack, we can be on Telegram, we can be on Facebook. So it's like very big on presence. 
we're, we're very rich in our content support. So not just SCORM and XAPI, but also all of the native stuff, Google Drive, Typeform. Mm. We connect with your team's uh, preferred liquid knowledge uh, solutions. Like if your team uses Google Drive, we connect with that. If your team uses Slack or Microsoft Teams, we connect with that as well. And, and we can suck up all of that knowledge that's being created and organize it so that it doesn't get lost, right? So when you, when you cancel your Slack subscription, for instance, what happens with all of the knowledge that your team yeah. has shared on Slack? It goes away, right? And it, sh- it shouldn't be like that. So we, we act as this uh, hub that connects all of the knowledge that's circulating through the enterprise and connects that with their user data so you know who's the person that's sharing all of those cool articles on Slack. Like, and what are those articles talking about? And then you can repurpose that on your learning programs, on newsletters, on your website through APIs. So it's a, a hub for knowledge management that um, extends what you can do with this stuff you're creating. Nice. So, so we, we, can, we, we can be used as an LMS, but we can also be used in, as, as like a sales training chatbot that you know, wouldn't, wouldn't look like an LMS, but it's fulfilling like a similar purpose. Yeah. I seem to recall from a previous conversation, you're describing a situation in a business where they could deliver tailored or individual sales training to someone who, who just had yeah. a poor sales day. Does that ring a bell? Yes, definitely. So this, this layer that I mentioned that connects all of the knowledge and the user uh, information in the company is the core of the feature you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So we, we call that user metadata and the ability for, for SCORE to learn about what what are the characteristics of each of those uh, students and learners and how should we adapt this experience to better fit that person? So I'll give you an example. If we connect with uh, Salesforce, for instance, right, where all of your salespeople data is, uh, just by looking at Salesforce data and, and inspecting that data, you can realize that Hey, you know, this person is, is, you know, has a much bigger conversion rate on the negotiation phase than this person. And this yeah. person is really good at selling this product, but really bad at selling that other product, right? So let's, let's call that user context. And as the more user context that we have, the more personalized or adaptive the, the experience can be. So, so for instance, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, tell you about a product that you sell really well, I would focus on teaching you how to sell the other one that you don't do as well with. Because I know you don't have that much time to study every day. And I don't want you to go through materials that are not that relevant, right? So the more you connect our solution with your internal user data, and in this case, it was uh, the largest retailer in Brazil, uh, he, they connect us with their ERP data, right? So as they get sales data every night, overnight, it connects with our solution. And in the morning, their salespeople, which are 30,000 people, when they open up the app, they get a very personalized recommendation on next stuff they should learn. Wow, so that's very the, cool. more, the more we add context, the better this... Um, recommendation can become right still early phases in the technology but it's it's really powerful if you think about 
how this could uh, be when you connect it with you know, the other solutions that are in the enterprise. And the more we know about these people, how long are they in the company? Like the more we know, the better the recommendations can be. Actually, if I pause you there, I'm just thinking back to the, the annual performance review and then a development plan that goes with that. Oh, yeah. And here are the things you should work on. And don't worry, we're going to give mm-hmm. you some training and support on that. And even if mm-hmm. it's a quarterly plan, here's what you should be working and learning. It's, it, at the end of the day, it's still a, a checklist of things to work through. Whereas what you're talking about is overnight, the ERP system downloads sales exactly. data and tailors a training plan. That's crazy. Which is way a much more efficient way of doing this than just whatever quarterly or annual review, which is, as we know, so full of biases, right? What, yeah. what you can do is, what if we could inspect? So um, developers, for instance, it's really hard to, to assess developer productivity, right? It, they're, they're like a special animal that they, they do their code magic. And it's, it's really hard to infer like who's a better developer uh, than, 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 than the, other, the other person. But if you look at their GitHub data, which is where they, they commit their codes, there are tools already that analyze code commit patterns and, and say, hey, you know, this person, when they commit some code, it gets rejected more often than this person. So they have some code quality problem. And if you can get that into a system, then you can train those people without having to wait for six months to realize that they may have a code quality problem. And if that shows up in the, in the performance evaluation uh, interview, because sometimes it doesn't, yeah. right? Uh, it's, it's just too ingrained and, or the company hasn't been instrumented enough to, to look at that data individually. So sometimes it doesn't even show up. And so, so you, you can, even the person doesn't know where they can do better. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. And how are the it customers? Really how, how are the customers enjoying it? Well, they love it, but they, we have a challenge, uh, as you know, the challenge of making sure that we can sell the solution to the proper customers. Mm-hmm. Right? It's this is this is really something that we took a while to learn. Uh, some solutions they they are targeting a kind of a early stage of the market versus a late stage of the market, right? When you're, especially yeah. when you're kind of re, rebuilding the problem statement. Yeah. So if you're, if you're rebuilding the problem statement and, you know, things, things will be kind of 90% of people won't relate to what you're saying and you will eventually get up to that, to, to them, you know, as you, as you progress to the, you know, adoption cycle, right? Yeah. So for us, it was, how can we, find the companies that are ready to take on this type of approach versus the companies that just want to put a couple courses online and mm-hmm. get done with it. Right. So it, it wasn't a tech problem for us. It was a marketing problem. Like how do we, how do we find those people and talk to them? And in, in our sense, we, after a couple of years, we came to identify which were the, the, the traits of a good customer versus a trade of a customer that wouldn't engage and would eventually churn, right? So for instance, our customer is an HR that is very data-driven, which is not the majority of them, right? Or, yeah. or a sales team, right? So we, we learned when we looked at the data-driven uh, hint, we realized, hey, what if we don't try to sell to the sales team themselves? Like rather than 
always selling through HR because sales is, is very data-driven. So if we, if we show them our solution, maybe they can help us to, to sell this to HR eventually, yeah. right? And, and this worked like magic <laughs> because then they, they're, they're like, yes, whatever, whatever investment makes me sell more, I want to look into it, right? So, so they would take the time to analyze the product and, and understand the, the, the investment on their time, both in terms of money or our tech resources, yeah. wasn't that big. And they became like our biggest sponsors. Like in, in most of our largest customers, um, the, the sales team or the revenue-related teams were uh, our big uh, sponsors, right? And our, our best customers, they also, they are very deliberate about the, the content they are going to deliver, right? And, yep. and this is really interesting because you see some teams just saying, hey, we need to train our sales team. So just go talk to that supplier and get some whatever sales technique stuff that makes sense. And let's put it on our, on, on our LMS. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we'll say, hey, people, here's here's the courses. Come on up and, and have fun. Go and nobody it. comes. Right. Nobody yeah. goes. And because it, it doesn't speak to them at all. So our customers are the ones that take their time to think through and say, what do we really want to teach to the sales team? Like what techniques and through which examples. Right. So they're they're very deliberate about the type of content they create. And then we came to realize that they are like that because they already had the insight that training equals results, right? Training equals performance. Like if you, if, if you don't have that ingrained in the L&D team's culture yet, yeah. we, we can't engage with them to put the effort to make this work. Like any any experimentation process or any implementation process like, like ours, it's going to require them to work for one or two quarters, putting the data, tweaking the stuff and experimenting very lean, but still, you know, trying this content, trying this interface until we find what resonates with their customer, right? So if, the, if they don't see why this is important, they won't spend the two months that is required to get this off the ground. So and was that, us, was that difficult to find? Because a typical L&D person will believe in training, learning development will impact the ROI, will actually produce a, a measurable outcome. Yeah, or so you... it, it was difficult to find because they, they expect that L&D will impact uh, results, yeah. but they, most of them haven't seen this happening before. Yeah, right, because okay. it's so hard to measure the 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 return on on investment that you do on training, and if you don't do this more techy approach, I don't know if we would be able to demonstrate. Right, because when I connect thirty thousand salespeople to a firehose of of adaptive content, I can look at the sales results like thirty days later and say, here it is, because we we have enough data points to do even A-B testing, we, we did that. Like we, we trained only half of the salespeople and the other half we kept on the old structure because we wanted to see whether this would make a difference, right? So when you instrument yourself enough so that you can, without a question, say, 
this created results, things get a lot of traction and, and a lot of movement inside the company and you get a lot of buy-in. But yeah. most L&D, L&Ds, they do suspect or they believe that it would change performance, but they don't have actual hard data to demonstrate that. So they don't get much buy-in from the rest of the company, right? Like today, when we, when we start with a new customer, we share with them something that is a, a best practice we learned from our best customers, which was build a L&D squad. Don't, don't be the L&D dude inside the HR team because that is, that is just like too distant from everything you need to run this, right? Isolated, so our yeah. customers too, too isolated and, and very often ignored by IT and, and by the business. Like there's, there's a lot of things that your audience knows much better than I do. What we, what we uh, experimented with them was let's build the team with one person from the sales team, one person from IT, one person from data, one person from internal comms, um, and let's build a squad out of that and let's give them the project, right? And this makes such a big difference because then all of a sudden you don't have all of those meetings and barriers and you know people just questioning each other. All of a sudden you have just all you need to run this program. You build some content, internal comms approve it, IT puts it live, and then the data guys just get the return very, very fast, right? And, and this is something we, we borrowed from the Lean Startup uh, uh, philosophy, right? Yeah. Which is rapid iterations, rapid learning, just figured out real quick, like prototyping. Some of our customers, they were really afraid of prototyping content. Like, like, yeah, they would always think like, let's hire this agency to do our video with the president, right? And it's gonna cost us like 20,000 bucks. And we were like, no, no, just, just, just pick your iPhone. Just, <laughs> just call him into a, a, a room and say, hey, this is a prototype. We, we just wanna record you for three to four minutes. And then we're gonna show it to 30 people and we're going to ask them what they thought of it. That's it. Like, you know, 30 minutes to record, 30 minutes to process the video, one afternoon to collect feedback. And then we'll iterate over this until we know that we're delivering the right message. And it, this is such a, a normal concept for, you know, startup people. The tech world, that, yeah. But, but it's so alien to... Uh, to our audience, right? It's, it's so alien to them that they could put some whatever video that they just recorded, like a YouTube video, and, and see how people react. And it's been really fun to see how much uh, empowerment they get from this. Because, you know, before, it, it was months to get a content out, and it was, you know, sometimes weeks to get just whatever feedback to come and it's such a long cycle. Like you, you spend all this money with this agency and then, you know, you, you put it live and it takes so long to put it live on the LMS. Then when the feedback comes and you realize that it's not that good, you don't even have the energy to yeah. go back and start it over. You know, it's like, hold on, another four months of dealing with the agency and publishing stuff. Like, I don't want to go through that, right? And then, and, then, and then a lot of people will just say, well, it's fine. You know, we'll, we'll just get what they say, uh, vanity metrics. 
well, you know, 10,000 people started the course. That's, that's good enough, right? Uh. It's, it's, and, and then they go into this, you know, uh, this, this bias of confirming that it's all good and it's all working when they could have figured out in two to three days that it was a bad idea, that the content was badly produced or the, the, the message wasn't well delivered and they could do it again and, and deliver like amazing content to their yeah. audiences, right? So they need minimal viable product for content. Or exactly. Prototype or something. That is that is so powerful, but so so few teams uh, do it like that. Yeah, no, I can imagine. So, how do you actually get your first customers? Because once you've got them, and then you can work through your rapid prototyping or the lean approach. But how did you get your first ones? Yeah, so this was really cool. Like we've been really blessed when we when we started the company uh, before before founding Score. Uh, I worked with my co-founder in a consulting, um, in an innovation consulting uh, company that I owned. And, and one of our jobs were like, we were hired by companies that were trying to find the, this white space for a new product, right? And yeah. so we, we, we already had the, the, the team and the resources to do a lot of market research. So we, when we got this hunch that we should build this solution, we said, hey, let's, let's eat our own dog food. Let's spend six months interviewing people from across industries and across company sizes and, and, and make sure that we're going after the right thing, right? We're going after the right problem. Mm. And we, we interviewed a bunch of people. The, the, our first three customers were people that we had interviewed and then when we told them, hey, do you remember that we had an interview with you three months ago and you said you have this, this, and this problem? Well, we're going to build a prototype for it. And we, we, just, we, we just want you to use it. Uh, you, you shouldn't pay for it because it's, it's very bare bones, but you can just use it, right? And, and our first customer was this pretty cool retailer. They were very tech-oriented. And, and the guy said, all right, I'm going to put it to test in one of my uh, stores. They had like 100 stores in Brazil, and he, he would use it in, the first, in, in one store just to kind of uh, isolate the, the, the test. Right? Yep. And, and we give them you know, access to the, to the software. He uploaded a bunch of content, and then he was training the, the team. And then a month later, his boss calls me and says, hey, we want to roll out to all stores. And can you guys handle it? And, and I said, oh, of course, like we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're running it. Go, go for it. Then I dropped the phone and I screamed at my co-founder. I said, we're, we're done. Like, this is going to break. Like, it was going offline with one store, like, uh. every day. And, and then we, we kind of, you know, assembled, like, a, a small kind of uh, uh, war room and, and worked <laughs> on it and, and made it work. So our first three customers were, uh, people that we had interviewed and the success they had just just got us like for the past three years uh, For the first three years we're, we're four years into this now for the first three years all of our customers were uh, word of mouth Every single one of them. So, you know, these three customers brought us another two which brought us another three and mm. you know people would change uh, jobs and 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 bring yeah. us to their new company so we were growing organically like that, about two to three X per, per year, uh, but mostly by referral, right? And it was only a year ago 
that we decided to start accelerating that through our own uh, marketing efforts and and having a sales team and stuff like that because you, yeah. you can't scale word of mouth, right? It takes you up until a point, which is an awesome point, but from that onwards, you, you need to build your, your sales machine. That's true. Which is what we're doing for a year. That's good. That's good. And I love the, the phone call and can you, can you do a hundred stores? Yeah, no problem. No problem. Oh my no God. problem. We're no done. Problem. I know from previous discussions, you've had a very clever approach to winning over potential new clients via workshops. Can you talk us through that a bit? Sure. So, you know, the reason why we spent from these four years, we only, we're only doing marketing for one is because we totally sucked at the first three years. Like that <laughs> is the, the truth is we, we had no idea how to sell to our customers and how to find those customers because we, we, we haven't had the, the epiphany that you know, our customers are data-driven and, mm. and so on and so on. So we were trying to sell to everybody, right? We would, we would just you know, approach every type of company. If they come after us, we would try to sell to them no matter which industry they were. And it was such a bloodbath. Like where it was so, so hard uh, to see the signal from the noise, you know? Yeah. Yep. And then, and then we, we kind of got, in, got inspired by, by some companies that are upskilling their market, right? They're upskilling their customers. And this is really interesting. Like if you think of how uh, HubSpot does on, yeah. you know, digital marketing, like their, their industry wasn't ready for them. Right. And, and HubSpot made them ready. Like they, they invested so much in education so that the marketing person that wouldn't see value on their solution before started to see that value after being educated by them, which is really cool. And, and we, we kind of started to experiment and said, hey, what if we share our methodology, all of those lean principles that I mentioned, mm -hmm. what if we share that in a work, workshop format, right? What if, what if we teach uh, people how to think about content and not in a salesy way, like, you know, we're not approaching yeah. them for selling licenses. We're just going to offer them the knowledge that we have. And, and this, this has been so overwhelmingly awesome. Like we, we got 30% conversion rate in sales from those workshops and you know, people just, just, they just call us aside on, on the workshop day, which is a physical workshop today. Yeah. I'll explain it why in a second, yeah. but people will call us aside and say, I'm ready for you. I don't even have a project, but I have budget. What can yeah. you do with my budget? This is crazy. Like we've never seen that. Wait, so someone's like, coming up to you saying, um, just on the quiet, I have all this money. I need to give it to score. Yes, exactly like that. They say, hey, you know, I have 200,000. Uh, it's approved. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to replace all of my LMS with you yet, but what can you guys do with 200,000? And wow. we're like, wow, we can do a lot of stuff. It's, it's crazy how it worked because it got them. Um, so the, in, in the workshop, we'll, we'll talk about the stuff that I told you uh, right now. And the mm -hmm. reason why it's, it's, a, it's a physical workshop right now is because we want to see people's reactions, right? This is the basis for lean prototyping is the first things you do, you do things that really don't scale, right? So I want to see how they look at each other because we invite three or four people from the same company to the yeah. workshop yeah. because we want to see when we say something, when 
they look at each other and start uh, nodding. You know that when when <laughs> when you you know you touch the point when yes. they when they they silently talk to each other and they say I told you or you know something like that. That's we all we need. Know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we want to keep on on experimenting the different you know uh, phrases and concepts that create that reaction because we know those are pain points, right? Yeah. And then once you know that, then you can reproduce it on you know blog posts and videos and, and now we're gonna turn it into a online course so that it can be more broadly um, absorbed right but we, we wanted the first the first uh, editions to be to be in person so that we could you know get all of that uh, knowledge from observation that yeah. you unfortunately can do online yet. Right. So, so you get what I don't know, fifteen people in a room, and three or four yeah. from a few different companies. And what do you exactly? What, so, what, what so do you bring in the of, It's an, it's an average of you know four to five companies, three people per company. Yeah. And and what we do is we tell them, hey, we're we're um, sharing some some knowledge on best practices for you know lean education models for enterprise. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, frameworks that will help you apply your resources in a more efficient manner because they if, if, if you look at what the lean principles they what what the lean startup talks about they say hey you gotta you gotta figure your stuff out before you run out of your finite resources right yeah. and you you basically have three finite resources if you're an entrepreneur which are you know your money your time and your morale right like there's 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 enough time that your wife will keep on waiting for you to become successful there's 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 a finite amount of time right yeah. so it's it's all about how to use those resources in a more efficient manner uh to learn or to deliver more with what i've got so yeah. if you think about that on the learning and development space i want to talk about how do i make sure that the the courses that i'm creating or that the initiatives that i'm creating are actually moving towards my goal how do i prototype the content so that it helps me get to that goal how do i look at metrics and really analyze them without all the biases that uh, we learn to put in to look better right mm -hmm. so we'll, we'll, how do i use the information that's flowing on the enterprise how do i make sense of that information so we're going to just share those models and we say it's a it's a closed workshop that you know we we charge we charge for it because we're going to ask. So you your, do charge. Your skin. Yeah, we do charge. So we, we, we do want your your skin in the game. Yes. Uh, we, we want you to be, you know, kind of motivated to do it. And, and most of these, you know, L&D teams from large corporations, they do have money for that. Like they go to much, much more expensive conferences like, in, you know, the ATD and others. So, so yeah. they can spend, uh, they can spare like a thousand dollars for the workshop for sure. Uh, and, and obviously our sales folks, they, they just look at some companies that we really want to do business with and they give them discounts. Sometimes they give them free passes to, to, for the executive. So, you know, yeah. they bring in more people, but, but it's really, we try to create a, a room that is a mix of a segments, like different industries. And we usually have one max to, uh, customers in the in the workshop so there's a couple customers and three or four uh, non-customers which is something we totally copied from Salesforce <laughs> works like magic uh, it's because you know the customers they 
they will they do the selling. The yeah, and, and they would teach the process, the, the prospect, uh, the, the hardest part, which is how to deal with your first couple quarters as a customer, right? Because so much change is going on yeah. that if, if you don't have someone that inspires you and you say, hey, I love that company and they, they've done it. Like, how did you guys do it? Oh, great. Like, I can do it too, right? So this, this, this is the Salesforce playbook. We just got inspired by it. <laughs> Brilliant. Are you continuing with the workshops? Yes, we're, we're, we're starting to uh, do it in different cities because we focused first in Sao Paulo, which is where the headquarters are. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing them across the country and we're, we're going we're gonna to do our first international ones uh, next year. So we're going to do Q1 in Boston. It's an experimental one. Yeah. And Q2 we're going to do in Amsterdam. So we're starting to test the concept you know, across different regions and, and see what, what differences we see in, in people's reactions to the content. Same thing, right? We'll start with them on physical workshops, eye to eye, same, same kind of model, and then evolve towards uh, online. So we're going to start a series of content, uh, of, of blog posts, videos, and, and, and presentations uh, on our website from January, February. They will be in English, and we'll use that to test the market as well. And, and for us, like, you know, education is going to be our main marketing strategy for next year. I love it. I love it. It makes sense, right? We're an education company doing marketing through education. Kind of, it, it makes sense. <laughs> Do you partner with other HR firms either to refer in business or to team up Definitely. in other ways? Yeah. And, and we, we have been exploring that uh, quite a lot uh, lately very similar model to HubSpot, right? When, when they kind of partner with agencies. And, and, and for us, the partnering with the consultants is, is, is being very successful. And it makes a lot of sense because the consultant already has the trust from the customer, right? They, they know how to navigate uh, their customer. And they, they don't have all of those tech resources, but we do. Yeah. So what we're doing now is we're... we're uh, working with a select number of customers to start, of uh, partners to start. But the idea is that they get trained and empowered to deploy and maintain our solutions with their customers and they can make money out of it. This, yeah. is, this is really important for, uh, for us to be able to scale as well. That's a very good idea. Moving towards the end now, the HR industry continues to evolve at a rapid rate. What changes and challenges do you see now and into the future and how can SCORE be involved in that future? So I think the major threat uh, and the major opportunity uh, for, for us right now is um, the, this reskilling um, theme that is mm. coming up, right? So if you, if you just think about it and how, how big this is, is you know, half of the population is going to have to be reskilled in the next three to five years. That is just a lot of people, right? And only a portion of these people can be profitably rescued by their current employer. 25% is the, is the number. So basically, three quarters of, that, of those people uh, will be let go because it's not profitable enough for the company to uh, train them into a new position, right? That, that is major. We, we, we used to rely a lot in the past for creating talent we used to rely a lot in hiring, right? Like if you look at HR tech, hiring and recruiting solutions are, you know, 
like there there's a new one coming up every day it's yeah. always been like the the big thing and and something we we usually tell ourselves here today is that reskilling is the new hiring because mm-hmm. you 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 don't have enough enough people in the market that is ready for all your for all your uh, skill needs right you can't fulfill uh, all your positions by hiring because I need to hire too. So you will hire my guy. I'm going to hire your guy and you're going to hire my guy. There's not enough that there is a deficit, right? So if, if the companies don't look at creating that skill internally more seriously, they, they just won't compete. Like it's, it's impossible to fulfill all of those needs by hiring people from the, from the uh, market. And of course the government and universities, they play a role on this, but you can just wait on them to give you all the professionals you need, right? So, and, and, and the same study says that if you increase your training productivity by 30%, that 25% people that could be profitably rescued become 50. So you double the amount of people you can rescue just by increasing your productivity by 30%. So those approaches for lean that I mentioned uh, they are all towards productivity. They are all towards investing less money, less time, and less resources on getting more people educated, right? So for L&D professionals, I think it's, it's going to be a major change in the next two to three years where they're going to have a much more important seat at the table because now it's a matter of survival. Like no, no knowledge-based company will survive without a strategy for creating skills within. So I think it'll be quite exciting. I haven't heard that perspective very much at all. I've heard a lot about this World Economic Forum data about the, you know, with the rise of AI technology, reducing the number of jobs out there, halving the mm-hmm. number of jobs and the, the amount of reskilling. But there's very little conversation on the other side whereby companies need to adapt to survive. I think everyone yeah. just assumes that, oh, well, everything will become more efficient because the, the robots will do it. But I think yeah, right. unless L&D are put front and center there, then the ones that are not adapting will suffer. It will, yeah. And I, and I think this is one of the biggest opportunities that people are totally like, underestimating. And for consultants, this is so important. I, I heard a guy say yeah, that he is trying to create uh, self-taught companies. Right? And, I, and I love that concept of <laughs> a company that knows how to teach itself. Mm. That is such a powerful concept when you realize that capital is a commodity. Just look at how much money like, can be raised today. Right? And, and if you think of AI and robotics, uh, that, that is also a commodity because everything that is uh, software-driven is eventually copied and open-sourced. Like, yeah. you know, like this, is, this is no... Uh, this is no propri- uh, proprietary um, information. So mm-hmm. if everything like that is a commodity, what isn't? And it's just your people, right? It's just, and your people is going to be 100% knowledge-based, uh, knowledge workers, because all the repetitive jobs have been taken over. So it's 100% of your team does knowledge work. And what's going to make your company better than the company next door is how much these people can innovate and how much can, can they create, right? So, so for me, this is the largest opportunity of this next decade. Yeah, uh, it's, it's an exciting but time. But I'm biased, right? It's, it's my... <laughs> it's, 
Hopefully I'm right. Yeah. No, I think you're on the right side there. Let's, yeah, me too. Brilliant. Luis, I think we've reached the end of our time. So thank you very much for all the, uh, the fascinating insights and, and the insight into the business itself. You've done an amazing job. It was such a pleasure. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.